Hi, I'm Adam Crofts, and this is Better Begins Here, powered by Prevail. I've invited some of the highest performing athletes I know to talk about what it's like to work at the highest level, to find out how they got there and how they keep going. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by Kadena Cox. I had a stroke in the May and then spent kind of like three, four months recovering from that and then got ill again in September and then I was diagnosed with the multiple sclerosis. Kadena has overcome so many challenges from physical injuries to setbacks with her mental health and also a diagnosis of MS. Now, Kadena has six Paralympic medals under her belt as a sprinter and a cyclist and she also recently won Celebrity Masterchef. I'm so inspired by Kadena's story, by what she's achieved and by what motivates her. She's one of the most inspiring people I've ever met. I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. It honestly feels like there's nothing life can't throw at her that will stop her achieving her goals. Just so you know, Kadena talks openly about her experience with disordered eating. There's loads to take away and learn from this one. Hope you enjoy the episode. Okay. Go on. Serious. Right, let's go. Serious faces. Been a pretty busy year, right? Fresh back from Tokyo, two gold medals. Literally just one MasterChef, must be exhausted. Yeah, you know, it's been a very hectic year. Um, obviously, with everything that happened in the last 18 months, it's been challenging. But to, you know, get out to Tokyo, do the job, and then come back and um, everyone find out about my cooking abilities <laughs> and the fact I've won MasterChef, it's been, yeah, it's been pretty hectic, but um, I wouldn't have it any other way. How you found it since you've been back? Do you know what? Since I got back, I literally haven't stopped. I was isolated for five days where I just slept, but everyone kept knocking on my mum's door to try and say hi and well done. <laughs> um, and then since then, I've been doing TV shows, media, photo shoots, everything you can think of. I spent, you know, most of my time in London and then Manchester, Birmingham, everywhere but my own bed, basically. Even just walking through Manchester today, it seems like the whole world knows who you are now, which is pretty awesome, I suppose. Your profile for Paralympics as well. And has it been weird getting used to it since you've been back or um, enjoyed it? It was a little bit like this after 2016, but I feel like it's it's different this time because in a weird way, I think people are, are more impressed with my MasterChef win. But because of the MasterChef win, like I've now got like a bigger profile. So people were, there's, you know, people that are aware of me as a athlete, um, and then there's people that are aware of me now because of MasterChef and then have seen what I've done as an athlete. So it's great for the profile of um, Paralympians and it's great to be able to have a Paralympian in the spotlight so people can kind of look around and see what other Paralympians there are and what other sports there are. But it's just a little bit mental when I can't get from like five minutes up the road to down here without being stopped a few times. Yeah. But you'd be glad to get back on a track, wouldn't you, after <laughs> all the craziness of the last few weeks? Yeah, you know, actually, you'd think, you know, oh, I've got a nice bit of downtime and no training. I'd well rather be training than, you know, having to do all, all this media stuff, smiling for the camera. <laughs> I find it all very awkward. You seem pretty good at it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, so I suppose, like, there's so much to talk about with you, like, so much to talk about, dig into, into your career, into the Paralympic side of things, MasterChef as well. Maybe maybe because it's fresh on your mind and it's fresh on everyone else's mind, we start with MasterChef. So is that like, a, is cooking always been a big part of your life, like, growing up? How did How did that come about? Yeah, so everyone always kind of is like, oh my God, how can you cook? To be fair, I think half my family didn't know I could cook, which I find hilarious. But I grew up, so my mum had a Caribbean Jamaican restaurant and my grandma had a, a no Jamaican takeaway. Um, when you grow up with like the six girls in the house coming from a Caribbean family, like you have to learn to cook. So we learned to cook quite young, like we'd kind of have a day where, you know, someone would cook the rice, someone would cook the meat, someone would do the veggies, and someone would get the short straw and have to do the dishes. <laughs> 
home, but we all learned how to cook quite early on. And then as I've kind of, you know, gone off to university and had to learn how to eat better as an athlete, um, I've kind of stepped away from some of the Caribbean roots because, you know, <laughs> it ain't so healthy. It's very hard, yeah. eh? Um, and then just learned how to do a few other dishes. And then, yeah, kind of just brought it together and was able to get a little master chef. When, Pull it uh, out of the bag when you needed to. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty impressive what you actually managed to put on the table in, in the final. Yeah, I think I surprised everyone. I I surprised myself. Like I wanted to challenge myself and I thought, you know, going into the final, um, I knew there was stiff competition in there. So I thought I'm going to have to throw everything at it. I think just in the starter, there was, you know, five different elements. um, So I put loads of stuff onto the plate and then I just wanted to mix up the, the main and do something that, you know, you wouldn't normally get. So pairing like, you know, traditional British pie and, you know, put a bit of Jamaican in there and have some curry goat yeah, in there. That looks um, so and then the dessert, like the dessert, I, I really thought I just want to push the boundaries with this and challenge flavours and do some pastry work, you know, that not everyone can execute to that level. Yeah. Had you made them before those dishes? I'd made a few of the dishes before. I'm not going to lie, the dessert, literally every time I've made it, I burnt it. <laughs> um, the lamb, I'd made it. I made the rack of lamb and I cooked it the first time and it was really rare. And then the next time I put it back in, it was overdone. Um, I don't eat red meat, so, you know, I'm not great at cooking it. <laughs> um, and the, the I think, you know, I actually think I did the starter better at home. Apart from the fact I couldn't get the granita to set. <laughs> but other than that, the starter was better at home because my um, my prawns were actually like crispy. But um, yeah. So we, your we family must have about. absolutely loved you throughout that time, prepping, practicing at home. Get into uh, sample the delights. Yeah, like I think, yeah, my family, I want to say my family loved like being able to try anything. My mum actually hated it because it meant I was absolutely messing up her kitchen and <laughs> trying to do everything. I think on the show, um, Joe looked like the messiest or was the messiest. So he made all the rest of us look good and they didn't comment on it. But I was probably not far behind him with the messiness. No way. So when I was at home, as much as my mum loved trying the food, she also didn't like having to clean up the mess after me. Still made you do the dishes, I'm guessing. Always do the dishes, <laughs> you know. Got to clean up after yourself, yeah. Dina. That's what I get told. It sounds like usually you're like Olympic prowess and preparation to go in the same way to go into a MasterChef final. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I went into the MasterChef final and I had my race day lipstick on. So yeah, I, I literally, I was focused and kind of on job. And I think you could see it, you know, in, when they were filming, like I was so focused. I didn't even want to talk to anyone. I was like, don't have a minute for you. Like focused on like doing each task and executing it as I would a race and last minute sprint at the end you know as you do in there I want to say in the 400 meters there is no last minute sprint in the 400 meters but we're going to pretend it's last minute (laughs) sprint in the 400 meters so you spent the uh on the back of all that you spent the day with us at prevail unfortunately you're not in the kitchen cooking which was all (laughs) kind of hoping you'd bring some treats in for us um but yeah you spent the day in the gym with prevail meeting the teams testing out the smart layer how do you find the day yeah you know it's really fun really interesting you know seeing all the innovation like behind the scenes um the technology that's gone into, you know, creating the wear and being able to, you know, have such like the technology is amazing. Like to put it into like a little thing to be able to give us all the information. It's quite impressive. So I went into, you know, where all the tech is and I was a bit like, felt like, you know, a school kid, you know, yeah. looking at all the tech, like, oh, what could I do here? Can I glue something together? Like, Pretty lights. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, saw like the knitting room, which kind of, yeah, just reminded me of like, my days in my A-levels doing my textiles. Again, it was cool, you know, speaking to the ladies, you know, with all the creativity stuff, like looking at the clothing that they're doing and 
they were a bit like, look at our kind of creative brains. It's very messy. And I was like, it's cool. You know, I, I did. I keep saying I did an A-level in textiles. Like, I'm so great, great at it. But I did an A-level <laughs> in textiles. So I understand the brain for thought process. So it's really cool, you know, to see all that. And then obviously to be able to test it out and um, see how it worked, you know, while I was actually doing um, a workout was pretty cool. Yeah, that was, that was pretty excited that you, they said you was pretty handy with a sewing machine. So you might be getting a call soon to come and join the team, I think. <laughs> yeah, I actually just got a new sewing machine. My mum bought me a sewing machine um, as a present to say, uh, well done for the Paralympics. Yeah. How did you find training in the gym, seeing your data in real time, training on the back of seeing how fast you're recovering? Did you find it a good way to train? No, it's really interesting, you know, seeing the data, like, you know, flash up and seeing, you know, how it impacted my training. My heart rate recovers quite quickly. Yeah, we saw that. <laughs> like super fast, wasn't it? Like... Yeah, um, but then I feel like I'm not recovered enough. So I, I've literally spent years, you know, having three minute recovery. And it's normally more like, you know, five or more because I'm normally chatting in between, yeah. my, in between my sets. So yeah, just like going off like heart rate and like, you know, being recovered and jumping up. It felt like I wasn't ready. And I was a bit like, oh my God, like I'm like flying through this. But like in actual fact, I was able to get through it. So, you know, it's interesting to see like when you when you just, you know, do it and you see the data, like what you can actually do. So yeah, it's one of those that I, I'll, yeah, definitely be like using to keep an eye on in the future. Just keep it away from your coach because sessions will get harder. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I think my coaches are now ready to really like grill me anyway. Like they, they know what I'm capable of and what I achieved at the game. So yeah, I think either way, I'm going to be training pretty hard this winter. Chomping a bit to get you back on, a, back <laughs> on the bike, aren't I, I'm guessing. so much to talk through again this whole journey but I suppose back to where it started was it 2013 first run sub 12 seconds oh jeez if you know that Is yeah that, how, <laughs> how did it start how did what was the lead up to that to that moment where you, you ran that fast do you know what I think I was one of those athletes that's really unfortunate and spent a lot of time injured um so that time was actually a long time coming you know I'd been working really hard we'd like worked on my starts and to be fair, I was more of a 200 meter runner, but we'd kind of worked on, you know, just that back end speed and being able to hold form. So being able to do that, you know, at, at championships was, um, yeah, pr pretty, yeah. pretty good. And I, I was over the moon to have been able to get that sub 12 clock in. How, how did you first get to that moment then? How did you first get involved in athletics? So I've always been quick. Um, my mum would say I'd ran before I walked and I walked at seven months and didn't crawl. So Serious. You know, <laughs> I, was, I was born to be some kind of athlete. Um, so yeah, I kind of started athletics uh, competitively at the age of 14. So I, I was that kid that did every sport. And then I did um, a testing day when I was like 14, 15 in school and got into um, Leeds City Athletics Club and started competing competitively. And then, yeah, just kind of joined my coach and just kept like taking my way, you know, moving my way up the age groups and um, getting faster as I went along. Well, that's pretty incredible. Destined for speedy for walking at seven months old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I just kind of got up and ran. I was like, okay, I'm over this crawling stuff. <laughs> Obviously doing super well then, that sort of speeds at that age. Obviously used, it was competing. It was kind of not in, in any sort of disabled divisions at that age. When did that first approach and the diagnosis of, of MS and the move into the Paralympic field? Yeah, so 2014. So uh, pretty soon. Yeah. After start <laughs> it was just like, oh, hey, have a fast time. Okay, hey, get disabled. Um, no, so I, um, yeah, it was, it was frustrating. So in 2014, I was, I was actually training for the 400. And then I had a stroke um, wow. in the May and then spent kind of like three, four months recovering from that. Um, and then got ill again in September. And then I was diagnosed with the multiple sclerosis. And that was tough. Uh, mm. You know, I was a 23-year-old that 
first day I had a stroke, which, you know, I thought, okay, this is bad, but I can recover from this. Like, yes, there is a risk of recurrent strokes, but like, you know, it's not like having a condition like what I have now. So when I was diagnosed with MS, it was kind of like, okay, this is now a lifelong condition. Right. Um, this is going to impact me for the rest of my life. My condition can change, like, at any point, you know, I could become, like, severely disabled or, you know, just constantly get worse. And, you know, there's constantly always kind of thinking about whether I'm going to have another relapse and how that's going to impact me and my life and, you know, what I'm capable of. So as a 23-year-old, you know, your head kind of just goes wild and you just think, you know, is my life over? So that was a challenging time in my life. Um, Yeah, I can imagine it must have been a crazy amount of information to take in and think about your future as well but I suppose sport you didn't ever look outside of sport it was like that was still you still focused on MS not not MS you want to do you want to be in athletics yeah and I like I say I was just a sporty kid so I've loved sport forever and when I got ill I mean one of the first things me and my mum said is will she still be able to run and the uh, the consultant was like you know there's there's still potential like it depends on how the disease kind of move forward but I think she'll be able to so me and my mum were literally like cool like he said, like there's potential. So just took that and kind of ran with that. So yeah, I think maybe like two days after I was diagnosed, I'd like set up like a, a fundraiser, like to raise money to like help me get back into sports. I knew that that was something positive. It was like, I'm a very goal driven person. Yeah. Um, so having targets and having goals was going to help me to get through kind of the struggles that I had, you know, with the MS. And like, I knew if I set myself goals and, you know, you know, had like micro goals and whatever, I'd be able to, get through the challenges that I was facing at that point. Like focus on the next point, constantly something to, to work towards and strive towards. It, it's such an athlete mindset and yeah. it's what has helped me being like, you know, as successful as I am. Um, and it really helped me get through that time because it's just that kind of, okay, I need to be able to walk by myself. I need to be able to get up the stairs by myself. I need to be able to open a bottle for myself. I need to be able to, you know, get in the bathroom by myself. And they're all, you know, little things. Yeah that allowed me to be able to then become a great athlete and also, you know, a MasterChef champ. <laughs> because <laughs> there was a point I couldn't even put on my own toast. So, you know, we wow. really had to work on that. And yet, was that like you had to kind of retrain all these these motor skills on the back of that first stroke then? Yeah, yeah. So I wow. was, um, yeah, I ended up quite impaired. Like after um, my MS diagnosis, I was unable to walk by myself, kind of, you know, wasn't able to like, you know, do I had really bad, like, um, fine motor skills. So, like, yeah, opening bottles, like, cutting stuff. I kind of, like, Fred Flintstone, like, my food and just, like, stabbed my fork into, like, everything because I just didn't have the movement. What else can I do? I couldn't do very much. Like, like be- being able to, like, you know, get in and out of the bath was a real struggle. So my mum wow. would, like, have to help me with stuff like that. Being able to, yes, I couldn't cook anything for myself. Like, brushing my t- teeth was also a struggle just that kind of movement is it seems so simple but it was so hard um and like yeah just even like being able to turn on the tv because all i did was kind of sit in bed you know like just watch tv but even being able to like press the remote like it was hard like i was like mom like i want to watch something else just it's like mind-blowing isn't it thinking even for us in here hearing it now like thinking of where you was back then did you have that vision of where you could be now was that always there driving you that whatever condition you had then you're going to go and win gold medals all around the world um like, it's one of those like, I think as, as an athlete you always dream of being you know Olympic Paralympic champion um and I'd always dreamed of being an Olympic champion and I think when I was in hospital I was like do you know what like I now have this dream of being able to be an athlete and at that point I didn't know whether I was going to still be able to get back and be able to be an Olympic champion or whether I was going to be Paralympic um, and I wasn't fussed either way I just knew I was going to get back into sport 
So I had that like dream of like being like a gold medalist and that's, yeah. you know, the carrot that was a million miles away at that point. Wow. Um, but you know, you've got that big goal. And for me, it was just like working backwards to work out what I needed to do to get me to that long-term point. So yeah, it was just all the little things in between, you know, all the falls, all the stumbles, all the spilt food, you know, all the it's little incredible. tantrums like to get me to. Yeah. So, so who, who was like massively influential then like helping shape goals, help with the day to day? My mum, my mum was literally like my saviour, like through most of it. Like, I mean, the woman had to shave me legs for me, poor woman. But like she did everything for me. Like I, I really struggled to do very much. Um, but then I had like great friends around me. My coach was amazing. So my athletics coach, when I started with him, he was just, he'd been working with like British Paralympics anyway. So like okay. worked with the Paralympic athletics team and worked up in Scotland with a lot of the sprinters there. So was in the Paralympic scene already prior to even having me as a disabled athlete. So it was quite nice to have someone that understood, you know, Olympic yeah. sport as well as Paralympic sport to help transition me. So him and his wife um, were really helpful. And then, yeah, like I say, just good friends, like just like kind of helping me to stay positive. Like I had friends that really supported me when I moved back out of my parents and back to Manchester. Because, um, yeah. you know, I wasn't able to drive, you know, being able to like get food from the shops and like, you know, helping me to prepare meals. I just became really bossy. It was like, cut this this way, put this in there. Like you need to add this. So I just, I did become a little bit bossy. Managing um, your team. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I, I did have a great team. I'm like, yeah, like I said, mum and dad, like all my siblings. I remember my little sister who was probably like six or seven at the time when I first got ill. She always like loved to come and like help me like cut up my food. Like whenever I was struggling, like she'd uh -huh. come over and you know, get her little knife and fork and like cut up my like chicken or my, my steak or whatever for me. I did still eat red meat at that point in life. <laughs> <laughs> Back in day. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute heroes. So I suppose, I mean, it's good to talk about, right? Because I, I think, like you say, a lot of this, what's a massive positive about being on like MasterChef, it like raises the profile of Paralympics, the different sports and Paralympics, different conditions as well. So I suppose like for people who don't know, like how does the MS like affect your training? Because from what I understand and what I'm learning from you, there's a certain point that you can train to potentially not to your max potential all the time, which is crazy to hear, right? And you're still performing at these speeds and, and in these conditions, which is mind-blowing that you're not really training to your full potential every time. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like, me and my coach talk about all the time, and I'm pretty much all the time training sub-max because I just cannot push myself to the point at which I do on race day because I'd just never be able to get any, like, good training out at all. Yeah. Um. So if anyone's, like, watched me racing, they've kind of seen how I am after my races and I literally can't control any of my movements. I'm having so many muscle spasms that it literally takes like a team of like four people to be able to help calm me down, to right. help me move around. Like I have to be in my wheelchair. I have to be using my walking stick. And I just couldn't do that every day. Like I wouldn't be yeah. able to get like consistent training in and I would just burn out within like a couple of days. Cause yeah, I managed like two back to back days, like at the, the games, but then it takes me like a week to be able to recover from that. So that like, in terms of training, you know, it would just be, really really hard but yeah I train kind of sub max and um, we've just kind of found what works for me so with both my coaches like we've kind of found the point at which we can push me to and still get gains and I've probably in this cycle learned to push myself a little bit further than what I did in 2016 because in 2016 I'd been diagnosed like 18 months um, right. so I still wasn't sure about what I could do in my body and how far I was too far yeah. um, and there'd been points where we'd pushed too far and I'd ended up in hospital like having had a relapse kind of in like 2015 so that was always my fear and that is all my, always my fear you know pushing myself to that level of fatigue because fatigue is a massive part of what you know 
is my problem with my MS. But then, yeah, the fatigue brings out like my muscle spasms and a lot of the things that people don't kind of see is like little things like my sensory issues. So I'm really affected by light. So like if it's too bright, that really affects like my spasms. Like my hands, like the sensation in my hands is like really poor. So on my bars, I've got special bar tape because like, I used to have like, it's kind of like rubbery, but the rubber felt really prickly on my hands. So I couldn't grip the bars without my hands wanting to let go because of the sensation that I was getting. And I was getting like pain, like signals. So it's all the little things that people don't really like. Don't see, see that, that Yeah, that kind of makes it challenging for me to be able to do stuff. And like, yeah, sometimes just like if like I'm, I've had like a bad day, like loud noises, like the light, like, yeah, just too many people speaking. If there's like too much going on, that can really impact me. And then that just makes it really hard for me to be able to kind of take in like any other information. So like there's a lot of sessions where my coach is just like, yeah, today's not today. Let's just leave it here. And I don't do a session because it's just not worth the risk. So coach has got to know you inside out super well, right, as well, isn't he? Interested in like how, when you say like you can, you train sub max, but you can train to a certain level. How do you and your coach measure that? Is it based on your feelings or is it based on any kind of information, data or or times or? It's kind of different across both sports. A lot of what I do with my cycling coach is more based on like our conversations. Because sometimes, you know, I, I can, you know, walk up and he's like, oh, you look great today, Card. And I'm literally just like, I feel horrendous. Like mm. um, all those times when, you know, I, I can get out the gate and, you know, training pretty well. Um, and again, I'm like, mm, I'm not feeling great. But sometimes the numbers reflect that. Like, you know, on days when I'm not feeling great, the numbers do reflect that. But in athletics, like, so I'll come in, have the same conversations with my coach, but then we do like um, counter movement jumps tests and the counter movement tests reflect kind of where I'm at. So like if they're down and what they normally are, then we'll kind of rein the session in. If they're up, then my coach is like, can we push it on a little bit? That's kind of where we go with that. So yeah, we use counter movement jumps, but also conversations. So a lot of it is about feel because with MS, sometimes it's just, how you feel. So I work on what's called a spoon sphere. And the spoon sphere is basically that you have like 10 spoons for the day. And you know, each thing like is worth a certain amount of spoons. So like say getting in the shower for me could be like two spoons. You know, if I have to tidy the house, like, you know, that could be like three spoons, you know, cooking dinner could be one spoon. Training is normally like 10 spoons in itself, but we yeah. won't even count that. But like, yeah, you have that like, same amount of spoons. So like, you know, if I've had to do something extra, like say today, you know, I've done, I've had to walk somewhere further or I've had to, you know, clean up a little bit extra and I've used like an extra like two or three spoons. That's fine today, but that means I go into tomorrow with only seven spoons and then it just impacts, so you just get that fatigue that's like impacting. So it's kind of, yeah, more about feeling like how much like fatigue is building on top of each other. And, you know, sometimes that can be reflected in like scores, like I say, like counter movement jumps and sometimes like my heart rate will be doing weird stuff, but we don't like a lot of the time it's more on conversation obviously one thing you've been incredible at as well throughout your career is inspiring other people overcoming obstacles becoming better like and being a voice for for paralympians and, and people who are just trying to get into sport themselves i suppose so that's on one side but i suppose you've also been quite outspoken about disordered eating and how that's affected your career and it seems like we we're speaking before like you've you've done an amazing job in creating awareness for people with similar sort of disorders as well is that how's it kind of affected your career and where you're up to it right now um yeah disordered eating became quite a a big part of my life um I think going from, you know, being the elite athlete that I was, you know, prior to becoming ill, 
to being doing nothing, being on steroids, you know, my mother feeding me. <laughs> That's what Caribbean <laughs> parents do when you're not well. And just, I, I think I put on like three stone in like less than two months. So very quickly became a person that I didn't recognize. So I really struggled with my body image because of what I felt like an MS had taken away from me. Wow. And then kind of, I don't know, I just became very aware of the athlete that I was and kind of as an athlete that doesn't wear very much clothes um, because of the sports I do, um, you do become very self-conscious and there's a lot of um, culture around being lighter and, and smaller makes you faster. Um, and that was the culture kind of, I mean, up until very recently. So I kind of got very kind of caught up in that and kind of started out, you know, with just like little thoughts and kind of, you know, doing little things until I got to a point in 2019 when I realized I was being very detrimental to myself and kind of, you know, not eating for like three days while overtraining. Yeah, like I'd literally just do water fasting constantly and I thought it was okay, you know, anyone can can read stuff on the internet and find exactly what they want to see um, and think that is correct, you know, because you found that one article that says water fasting is great for you and you you can read that and take it however you want. And when you're in in a dark place and, you know, struggling with your mental health, that is the kind of thing that you will do. You know, I'd find water fasting and, you know, it'd be like, oh, you do it for three days, you know, you can get these effects. And then I'd be like, okay, well, what if you do it for longer than three days? And, you know, I would just do that, but I would also still be trained as an elite athlete. So I'm under fueling and overtraining. And then you do become at risk of, you know, massive injury. And I, I was just dropping weight just really quickly and really unsafely um, while also still trying to perform at my best. And mentally, I was just in a horrendous place. And in 2019, after I'd won the world championships and, you know, become world champion again, I was just mentally in, in a horrendous place and I, I just broke and, and kind of like blurted out all my struggles to someone who was interviewing me. And um, it was weird because the story ran and that's how kind of everyone around me found out about the, the struggles I was facing. But at that point, it actually, it was kind of a blessing and a curse because it actually meant that I was open about it and was able to help other people and other people have been open about it since and it kind of helped other people to be able to reach out and get the support that they needed. Mm. It also meant I got the support I needed but I didn't realise the journey I was about to embark on and how hard it was going to be and I'm nowhere near as like bad as I was back then but as I mentioned to you like when I was out in Tokyo I did really struggle you know to the point where I was on the scales, you know, like 20 times a day, like, you know, getting up in the middle of the night. Every time I went to the toilet, I was like checking how much weight I'd lost. Like, you know, if I was having a bit of a drink, I needed to know how much weight I was gaining because of that. I had my food scale so I could like weigh everything out and not have, you know, any more than I needed to. And if I I did feel like I'd eaten too much or I'd gained too much weight, I just wouldn't eat for like a day or two. And that's when, you know, you're preparing for the biggest race of your life, you know, at a Paralympic game. So it has been something that's really challenged me, but that's me in a really positive place. And that it sounds crazy, but mentally I was in a really positive place. And part of it was I was able to speak to my psychiatrist who was like, Kadina, you know, you need to do this. Maybe we should do this. Maybe we should move your skills out of your room. So you, you're not kind of, they're not there in your face and you're not going to be kind of wanting to do that and kind of thinking about my portion size in a different way. And just those conversations were able to bring me back quite easily. Whereas, you know, two years ago, someone would have said that to me and I'd just been like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And it wouldn't have changed at all. So it was only when, I suppose, it all came out 2019, you just wanted a medal, but the overriding thought above winning the medal was 
using a bad mental place from the result of the disordered eating. Is that when it first became, I suppose, real when you were first able to try and get help with it, talk about it and try and put things in place to, to make it better? Yeah. So I think I knew I had a problem from like, probably like, I mean, I knew, I, I knew I did stuff that wasn't like, you know, I shouldn't have been doing it for like a long while, but I think in the kind of six months leading up to those championships, I kind of got worse and worse and I knew I was pushing the boundaries and, you know, I'm, I'm a smart girl. There was times when I was, you know, arguing with my own head thinking, you know, why are you doing that? And, you know, eating stuff that I, I knew I shouldn't have been eating, then making myself throw up and then, you know, getting into, you know, taking like laxatives and just really just like abusing my body. And mm. um, it was kind of that just like accumulation of things. And then when I was open about it and then had to have conversations about it, I then realized it was a bigger problem than what I, even I thought about it. Like I was like, no, it's fine. Like you can get away with, you know, not eating for three days, you know, that this researcher said this. And it's then when, you know, you have the conversation with people and like people like, you know, kind of help you to understand your thought processes. You're like, actually that really wasn't great at all. <laughs> no, no. And still performing <laughs> at that level as well, even without, without food, water fasting. Yeah. And it, you know, it, that's part of the problem. And the part of the problem I've struggled with now is I was able to perform well when mm. I was, you know, doing all those things. So it's that, you know, negative reward. Yeah. Like, you know, I I wasn't eating, like, you know, I was under fueling, but I was still able to go out and get and get wins, perform better than anyone else. And it's like, well, if I can do that, like still, then, then why should I eat? You know, I'm happy when I'm smaller. So why should I feel if I can still perform? But it's then the risk of injury and then the risk of, you know, your mental health just like being damaged for like yeah. life. It's crazy, isn't it? In, like, in a sport where I suppose the rest of the world looks up to athletes like yourselves as, as gods almost, there's still that innate feeling driven by like body image, even in, at that level of sport. It's, but was that a big driver of it, do you think? Yeah, and I think, you know what, people forget that we're just human. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the great things about, you know, the Olympics and Paralympics that I've just gone is so many people have spoken out about mental health. Simone Biles did it, Ellie Simmons and mm. Ellie Robinson did it at the Paralympics. I spoke out about it. And it is just that, you know, being real, we are, we yes, we are elite athletes and we're great at what we do. And most people just see the gold medals or they just see the losses and, they, you know, we're judged on that. But people forget that we are just human, you know. As great as we are, like, there's a lot of us, we wish, you know, our bodies were a different shape. You know, we could be the best athlete, you know. Everyone thinks of us as, like, you know, goals. But, like, we look at ourselves and we're just like, that's not what I want to see in the mirror. It's, it's like that whole thing, you know. If you've got straight hair, you want curly hair. If you've got curly hair, you want straight <laughs> hair. Like there's always something that you're not, you're not gonna like yeah. about yourself. And for me, like I, I could, you know, still be performing great. Like I've performed last year, and I, I was, you know, over a stone heavier than what I'd been the year before, and performed um, significantly better. But I was still unhappy with the way that I looked, even though I yeah. knew at that way I was still able to perform. But for me, it was what I saw in the mirror that I really struggled with. Yeah. How, how do you get better then? I mean, like you obviously mentioned a minute ago, you're still you in Tokyo, you're still taking your scales with you, getting up in the night, drinking water, measuring your food. And that's in a, and that's you in a pretty good place with it. It's obviously still a, it's obviously still a big part of your, of your mindset and your thought, but that's you in a good place. How do people that are struggling with it, how do they put steps in place to kind of get better and manage what they're thinking? It's a work in progress, you know, like I work with a psychiatrist, a psychologist and a nutritionist to kind of help me to stay on track. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, having those little things in place. Like for me, like I can create like a nutritional plan that keeps me, me happy and keeps me in a mentally good place and being in control. Um, and it's also, I think 
a lot of what my psychiatrist has got is not around food. So rather than thinking about the food and thinking about, you know, not eating, it's thinking about um, self-esteem. It's thinking about, you know, the support that I've got, thinking about the things that I'm in control of, the things that I'm not in control of and doing all these different like kind of exercises away from kind of thinking about food to kind of work out where the root cause is. And that's a lot of the thing. It's, it's root cause rather than, you know, actually the issue with eating. There's always a problem behind that that creates any type of kind of eating disorder. Yeah. But I suppose, like you say, it's, it's constant improvement, constantly working on it. Yeah, it doesn't, I, you know, it doesn't I, I just disappear. It was, I thought it was a quick fix. I, I thought, you know, 2019, I was um, kind of not allowed to train um, after once I'd kind of been open about it. And um, yeah, it was just kind of go and recover, have some time away, had to miss, miss the European Championships. And I thought, oh, you know, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. And, you know, two years later, I, yes, I'm in such a better place, but, you know, yeah. it's still a journey. Um, and I think that's what I didn't realise, you know, having any type of eating disorder, yes, you can, you know, be recovered or in recovery, but even those that are recovered still have days where, where their brain is, you know, telling them something else. I've, you know, spoke to someone who's, you know, a massive advocate and seems like she's in a great place and is really positive and, you know, is always posting about, you know, kind of where she's at. But there are days when she, even she still feels off. And I think that's just a thing, like, when you do have mental health issues, there is always going to be days where you wobble, but it's how you recover from that. That's the the, yeah. the real thing, like, moving forward. Just getting up keep, and keeping going, keeping focused on the goals. Yeah, we try. <laughs> <laughs> how do you keep getting better from here? What things do you put into place from things you've learned? How are you going to continue to improve, whether it's training, whether it's, yeah, like, physically and mentally? Yeah, so you know what? As hard as the last year has been, you know, just literally, I, I genuinely don't feel like I've had like a break. Like it's literally mm. been like one thing after the other, but I've learned so much. Like for me, like especially like the last like four or five months with the Achilles issues, I learned a lot about how I can train. I am a fragile athlete. Like I do break quite easily and I did prior to my MS. And now with my MS and my imbalances, I am really fragile. I've got tendons that literally hate me um, and tendon recovery is so annoying. Yeah. So, you know, having one session a week on the Alter G, you know, takes away that impact and allows me to still get the work in while taking away that impact, you know. So that's something that I'll probably implement into my training and not as, you know, a rehab thing, but as a prehab thing. Um, and, you know, looking at the way that I train lifting wise, like this year, I got so strong. Like I was able to, I mean, I didn't quite get it, but I did... For quarter squats, I got up to, you know, 197.5 kilos. I really wanted that 200, but I had an off day on that day. That <laughs> it was really annoying. Huge. Um, and like, I was able to get over 150K for like, you know, a back squat. And like, yeah, like my leg press got like really, I can't even think of my numbers on my leg press, but like I got really strong. And it's like, okay, let's look at what we did this year and how we were able to adapt in the injury. And how can we use that, you know, to make me continue this momentum, like moving forwards. And then it's about being smart. So mentally, I'm mm. stronger. And it's because of all the challenges that I face. It's putting all the things that I've used to get me into that place mentally. Like, so all the kind of, you know, working with my psychiatrist, working with my psychologist, working with the nutritionist, having a great team and support like around me, like, you know, friends, family, having stuff away from sport. Because, you know, it is about that, that balance. It's really hard when you do two sports, but I try to get that <laughs> balance. Um, and then, yeah, just like, it's all these like pieces like coming together to like make you like a better athlete. And, you know, because now I'm, I'm also getting older, like, I'm 30 now. <laughs> a lot would think it's a downward spiral. I've hit my peak and I'm on the way down. But it's then about training smart 
Um, so all these things that I've learned, and, you know, especially like the things we've like offloaded. And like, I think I have the bonus of being a two-sport athlete that does cycling. A lot of people do like cycling as a rehab thing in athletics. But for me, I do it all the time anyway. So it's then looking at those things and looking, you know, she's getting older. She's not going to be able to do all the same loading as what she could. But look at the loading I was able to do this year because yeah. we adapted for injury. How do we adapt that going into 2022 and then into, you know, 2024 for Paris? Because I still want to double up then, like... And I think, like I say, as agonizing as the last like 18 months has been for me, you know, as a, just an athlete with injuries, I think I've learned more in this last 18 months than I have in the last kind of 15 years of being an athlete. Yeah, it's going to put you in an amazing position and it's to keep Sorry, moving I've forward. I've just talked a lot then. <laughs> no, it's incredible, honestly. It's so inspiring. I mean, like for people, like you mentioned there, you like nutritionists, coaches, psychiatrists. I mean, for people that don't have that, day to day like like us we're always trying to become better as the whole point of working being inspired by people like yourself what do you what kind of kind of couple of tips would you give to people just on that constant quest trying to improve like how can people get their life life right to ensure progression as you mentioned like goal setting is a, is a yeah big thing. so yeah I think for me so I've always been a goal setting athlete anyway um but then I've also I've got an understanding because I, I studied sports science um I'm also a physiotherapist so I've got I've got quite so a good many talents yeah. <laughs> I've got a good understanding of the body but goal setting it I think is key you know if you set yourself a goal you've got targets and you've got something to work towards and you know that helps you to improve when you just kind of like you know seeing where it goes then I feel like you can kind of very easily fall off and get very disheartened very easily you know you can compare yourself to other people when really it's your journey. For me, back in March, you know, I did a race and, you know, there was people that were over the moon with where, where they were with their performance. Mm. And I wasn't where I wanted to be, but I knew, minus the injuries, <laughs> if the injury hadn't happened, I knew I would be able to improve and be where I needed to be, you know, come the games. And that person, you know, got to where they were, you know, come the games but they were very different points so I think it's just understanding you and what what you need to do and how you're going to improve and kind of having your own journey rather than focusing on other people you know looking at people and be like oh that's goals like no yeah. that's not goals because you need to have your own goals um I, I literally say it with like my hair as well because people like look at people's hair and like oh my god that's hair goals um <laughs> I, I've literally become my own hair goals <laughs> shout out to clean hair but um like it's just like you know it's like literally like having like those kind of goals and also for me like I think it's just that balance. Everything needs to be like balanced. So whether that's, you know, your nutrition, as well as your training, as well as your sleep, people always forget about the sleep and the recovery. It's like having those things, but then it's also balancing, like, you know, that sporting side of your life, also balancing your work life and also balancing your social life. And, you know, for me, like trying to have a social life away from my sport is really key. And for me, one of the things that I've taken away from sport is also, you know, my hobbies with, baking and cooking yeah and that's been a key thing for me you know it's something away from sports my brain you know doing something different and not being you know totally engrossed in that I need to improve like any every minute every day I'm trying to improve as an athlete it's like well no like you're a rounded person so you know I'll, I'll cook I'll you know I'll bake I'll play my guitar which I mean you know, I'm still paying for lessons and actually not playing it very often but you know it's yeah. there to play and it's just you know having like everything balanced out like you know I think if you are 100% engrossed in, you know, just trying to improve, a lot of the time you won't improve as fast as you would if, you know, you kind of take a step back and like have everything balanced. Um, and then just being smart. Like some people think training more is better. It's actually training smart. Like mm. a lot of athletes will will train less than you'd expect, but recover better 
And I think that's really important. The recovery is just as important as the training. Um, so, you know, trying to, trying to do back-to-back days, like, yeah, I smashed out, like, 100 kilometers today. I've done another 50 kilometers. Oh, man, I'm doing, doing another, like, 100 kilometers, like, thinking that that's great for you. I mean, the person that did 100 kilometers today and then had two days off and then, you know, went again, that person's probably going to be in a better place because their body's able to, you know, use the training yeah. to repair and, and, you know, do the breakdown and the build-up and all that kind of technological stuff. That Obviously, I'm... that's what we're giving you through, through the prevail app as well, I suppose. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I suppose, yeah, breaking that down, it's kind of ignore other people's noise, compare yourself to yourself with your own goals and, and keep balance in your life. And enjoy it, I suppose. That's... Did he just like dumb down what I said? I think I tried to digest it a bit. <laughs> so, uh, you learn that I talk a lot. Everything I say is a lot of waffle around something really simple. No, not at all. I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure working with you, speaking with you. And cannot wait to work with you moving forward. Thanks so much, Kadina. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of Better Begins Here. There are new episodes out every Wednesday. To make sure you hear the next episode as soon as it's out, follow this podcast on your podcast player. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star review. Stay up to date with everything that's going on at Prevail and how you can become part of our community by following Prevail across all socials at Prevail, P-R-E-V-A-Y-L. Join us next time on Better Begins Here, where we meet Adam Jamili. My family was there. I saw my family, kept it together with them. I went back to the GB tent alone and I just broke down just couldn't believe it because in that moment it was gone 20 seconds that's all you get so you have to get it right on the day